1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett and I'm Jennifer Wiggum, and this is episode 481 of the Lawyerist podcast part of the Legal Talk Network. Today Stephanie talks with Aaron Thomas about prenups.
2: Today's show is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists, Net Documents and LawPay. We wouldn't be able to do our show without their support, so stay tuned cuz we're going to tell you more about them later on.
1: So Stephanie, Aaron Thomas is in our Lawyerist Lab program, which is our coaching program for small firm lawyers. And he's been in it a long time, and we've been able to see his trajectory, which is an amazing trajectory from where he started to where he is. And now I hear and know that he might be taking on a new type of role within Lawyer's Lab. Yeah, I'm super excited. We actually didn't know this was going to happen when we recorded the show, so we didn't talk about
2: it. But we are super excited about everything that Aaron has done with his law firm And as you mentioned, he has been in lab literally since day one. Mm -hmm. We have loved working with him, seeing how his firm has changed and grown in different ways since we started. And this is typically what happens too, right? People want to learn from him. People in lab are coming to him, asking questions. Like there's all this great, amazing peer support that happens inside of lab. And we're just making it even more official because Aaron is one of our new lawyer mentors for the lab program.
1: Awesome. And what does that mean to be a lawyer mentor exactly? Great question. (laughs) Thank you.
2: (laughs) So Aaron's going to hold monthly office hours for our community where people can come to him in a very intentional way and ask him questions uh, about how he's handled different issues for his firm. He has gone really deep into marketing He just published this book and he has been on 40 podcasts, for example. So he's really learned a lot about digital marketing and techniques that other industries use when marketing their business. So there's a lot that he can convey to our Labsters. He's also going to be hosting quarterly workshops. And of course, he'll be at the in-person events like LabCon that we hold. So it's just another level of support that we're providing to our community.
1: And I love it because it's the community portion of Lawyer's Lab is my favorite. And we have all these brilliant minds and the people that have been through the program and know what it's like to go from start to finish really are the best people to be mentors. And I think our community is going to just benefit from him so much. And he's a great person, just a great person to talk to. So
2: absolutely. So now here's my conversation with Aaron. Aaron.
3: Hi, I'm Aaron Thomas. I am a family law attorney in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the founder of prenups.com.
2: Hi, Aaron. Welcome back to the show. You've been on a couple of times. And today we're actually going to dig into prenups because not only did you, you know, you're the founder of prenups.com and your new book, The Prenup Prescription, is out. And it occurred to me that. This is actually a topic that lawyers should probably know more about when it comes to their own personal life and how they approach finances in their relationships. Fair?
3: That is definitely fair. Yes.
2: So I think we have to just knock it out of the park and say prenups have a pretty bad reputation or sort of a dirty, maybe a, what what do you want to say? A dirty name? Like they kind of seem like most people associate them as a recipe for divorce. What do you say to that?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, you really can't have the conversation about prenuptial agreements without really first addressing the stigma around them. And even as a lawyer myself, when I first started practicing family law, I thought the same thing that most people probably do that prenups are just, you are basically planning your divorce before you get married. In fact, even some attorneys describe them as that. And it basically took practicing family law for a number of years for me to realize that. There is so much more to prenups than just planning your divorce or protecting what you have coming in. And if all your prenup does is you know, plan your divorce, then maybe some of the bad reputation is, is deserved. I think that prenups should be looked at as essentially a partnership agreement for your marriage, right? So just like in a business partnership, any business partnership agreement worth the paper that it is written on is going to spell out what happens if somebody leaves the partnership. If one of the owners decides to leave the partnership voluntarily or passes away, of course, you need to have contingency plans in place that say what happens. But that's not the purpose of the partnership agreement. The partnership agreement's purpose is to make sure that things run smoothly during the pendency of the business. And a good prenup should do essentially the same thing. It should make sure that things run smoothly during the pendency of your marriage. And yes, also, in the event that you split up, you don't give 20% of your net worth to divorce lawyers to fight over who gets the other 80%. Yeah.
2: I love the idea of your framing around the business partnership, because that really resonates. Like, I know why we have a business partnership, but it might not be clear, it, at least it's not clear to me, what do you mean when you say this is you're going to use this to manage the marriage or the financial relationship? That you're entering into. Can you say some more about that?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I look at a good prenuptial agreement, I split it up into kind of three parts, right? So you've got before the marriage and the principle that I use that I talk about in the prenup prescription, my book is transparency. And so for a prenup to be enforceable, and this is true in all 50 states, both spouses have to disclose all of their assets and debts to each other in writing. And the way that we accomplish this is we literally have each spouse write out a net worth statement and we attach it to the back of the agreement, all their assets and all their liabilities. And, you know, for some couples, this is the first time that they've ever gotten this transparent, this granular with sharing their finances with each other. You know, it is not something that typically comes up on the first date and it just becomes, you know, momentum takes over and it becomes very easy to be one year, two years into a relationship or even married and you don't know what the other person's assets are, you don't know how much debt they've got. So just kind of putting everything out there on the table at the beginning of your marriage can work wonders for the relationship because there's there's no secrets. You're going in with your eyes open and everything on the table. And then kind of step 2 of getting a prenup is around the idea of communication, making sure that things run smoothly during the relationship itself. So for example, the first thing that couples should really think about is how are they going to set up their bank accounts? You know, our parents' generation, they probably had one bank account and everything went into and came out of that one bank account and somebody managed the checkbook and maybe that worked fine, you know, in the sixties and seventies when people's finances were very simple and everyone got married at age 20 but the average couple today gets married closer to age 30, sometimes beyond that. And that average couple is likely to have met multiple bank accounts, multiple credit cards, maybe a couple of retirement accounts, a vehicle, potentially some equity in a home or a condo. And on top of all of that, maybe a decade's worth of financial habits that they have built up over the course of time that they've been living separately from their parents. And so Combining that is not just as simple as throwing everything into one bank account. And so typically what we recommend is that couples have kind of three money buckets or three buckets of money. We've got mine, yours, and ours. And some people will do what I call the outside-in plan, where all of their income goes into their separate bank accounts, like, like it did before they got married. And then they each contribute to the joint bank account that is used to pay for truly joint expenses. Sometimes couples will contribute to that. A joint bank account 50-50. Sometimes they'll do that pro rata with their incomes. But the idea is they have some agreed upon way that they pay for their joint expenses. And only the joint expenses come out of the joint bank account. So, you know, mortgage, utilities, groceries, meals, a couple of out together, their Netflix, their Hulu, maybe their joint travel, that kind of thing. And then each spouse maintains some kind of money. Um, some people will call it an allowance in their separate bank accounts to do their their kind of Discretionary spending. And so that's called the outside in. Other people use the inside out plan where all of the income in the household goes into the joint bank account. And then each spouse gets that allowance or allotment that goes out into their separate bank accounts. And having a setup like that can solve so many problems. You know, one, you're not arguing about the little, you know, discretionary expenditures that each of us make. So if I want to, you know, replace my phone every year, then I can do that. Whereas my wife wouldn't, she wouldn't spend money on that. She's going to, you know, keep her phone until it falls apart, but she may go out to eat more. And we can both do that from our discretionary spending without it impacting the other spouse, because we have a set way that we divvy up the money. And so, you know, principles like that, having agreements that, you know, neither one of us can spend more than 500 bucks from the joint bank account without approval from the other spouse, building these kind of communication principles into Your marriage is something that you can do in your prenup and that is beneficial to the marriage itself.
2: I love this. As you know, I started working with a new financial planner this year. I should say, we, my husband and I. And we've been married almost 14 years, actually, this month. And it was the first time like she had us set up. She called them play accounts. So we, I guess, we're doing the inside out because he has a play account, I have a play account. So that's, we determined how much goes into each. And by the way, it's different amounts for anyone that's curious, we set up a third account. Well, we have numerous accounts, but then we have another account that's a joint account for dining out and I don't know, entertainment. And she wanted it to be a bank account because she's like, you guys aren't controlling your spending with these credit cards. And she's like, forget about the points, which was a little sad to me, but I'm, I'm working through it. And now we can see each month, Instead of just saying, oh, should we just go grab something to eat? We're like, I don't know how much is in the dining out account because if it's getting low, we might not be able to. And I mean, it's silly, but it has really changed both our spending and also like our habits and and the way we're communicating with each other in our marriage about money. So I just take your point so seriously because I've seen it now. Again, after 14 years of marriage, we finally instituted this and it really did change things.
3: I love that. I mean, and to your point, it doesn't have to be just these three accounts. You know, for example, me and my wife, our big kind of discretionary expenditure between the two of us is traveling. And so one thing we did was say, all right, we're going to take 5% of all of our take home income and we're going to put it aside into a travel fund so that when we want to take a trip, the money is there. It's already been allotted. The more we make kind of the bigger trips or the longer trips that we're allowed to take and because we defined that as a value that both of us have at the beginning we you know had the intentional conversation and took the intentional steps to set that money aside for the things that we say are important to us and i think those are the kinds of things that are possible when you approach your marital finances from you know this really purposeful standpoint you know another thing that we do You know, I love that you said that you, you you know, that we meet with the financial advisor is we agreed that if one of us is going to be seeing the financial advisor, both of us have to be there so that we kind of baked into our marriage, this idea that there's going to be ongoing transparency, that we're going to make these big decisions about our finances together. So there's not one person that kind of dominates the financial decisions in the household, like like what happens in a lot of marriages when there's not that kind of intention behind it along those same lines a lot of couples will put into their prenup this idea of, of an annual shareholders meeting. Yes. For us, we do it every December where we sit down and you know we have an agenda of what we're gonna talk about. What did our spending look like last year? Does it match what we say our values are as a couple? Were there any big surprises that we didn't plan for? Are we both fine with how much is going into the joint account and how much we're each getting in allowance? And then we can use that information to plan the upcoming year. You know, how much do we want to spend on travel? How much are we going to sock away for retirement? You know, is this a year that we make a a big change, like like moving, you know, to another house? Or do we have private school expenses, daycare expenses? You know, those kind of things that we can plan around. And doing it intentionally and having a set time to do it has been so great for us because otherwise, I mean, you know what life is like. You (laughs) you get caught up in your day-to-day and these conversations just don't happen. But if they're on the calendar as a repeating event, then you make them happen. And it really started with, you know, us kind of deciding that, you know, this is how we're going to set up our finances as a couple in our up.
2: Yeah, that makes so much sense. We also have a travel account. I think you know that because like you, we were like, this is important. So we have a travel account. We have a tax account in case anyone's interested. I have the emergency sort of long savings account, and those are all in high yield interest accounts. Yeah. It's been helpful. It's a little bit like profit first for our family in that way that we have these different accounts, but now we can see how much is in each account and it goes up and down and and we can plan. So I love the idea of that board meeting. And so do you just do that annually? Do you check in throughout the year?
3: Yeah. So I think that doing it annually is like the bare minimum. I think because... Me and my wife have exercised this muscle of communicating about finances in our household so much that it really happens on an ongoing basis. So, you know, one of the principles I have is appointing a CFO of the relationship. There's always one person that's a little bit more into the finances, you know, than the other, the person who makes spreadsheets for fun. I think that's that's probably both you and I in our respective relationships. And I will, you know, keep basically a spreadsheet. In a shared file that both of us have access to, so that any given time, you know, either of us can go in and we have access to see exactly what is out there. What are the debts? What are the assets? You know, what are the investments looking like? So there's that kind of ongoing transparency that happens, you know, not just once a year, but throughout the year. And you know, some couples decide, okay, we're gonna do it, you know, quarterly. And after a while, I think it just kind of becomes a habit. It becomes the default for your relationship is is communication and transparency.
2: Yeah. And you know, what a good lesson for the kids. The fact that you and your wife have these open conversations. I know Jason and I also do the same. I see it. Your daughter's a little bit younger than mine, who's twelve, and she now already has like a different appreciation for money than I think you know, we did when we were her age and she even got a little job and she's actually earned $500 this year, roughing soccer. So I'm going to set up an IRA for her, which is a whole nother story But like, I'm like, wow, I wish somebody had set up an IRA for me when I was 12. But I think she'll approach her relationships with money differently.
3: I think that's a great point. It is something that, you know, will become the norm in your household and becomes normal for your kids as well. I think, You know, a lot of us grew up in households where money wasn't really talked about. One, it's taboo to even discuss money, but you didn't ask your parents how much they made. You know, I didn't even really know any of my parents' finances until we were filling out financial aid applications when I was applying to colleges. And it really is kind of a missed opportunity because a lot of us go off to college and we learn all about financial lessons the hard way we, you know, get bombarded with credit card applications, you know, freshman year on campus and we run up some debt and, you know, we make, you know, poor financial decisions. But if the default in your household is we sit down and we talk about the finances, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, share your tax returns with your kids. But showing that, you know, mommy and daddy or, you know, whoever the parents are, talk about the finances openly in your household and make these decisions jointly. I mean, what a great example to set for the household. Yeah.
2: I mean, I love that we sort of started talking about prenups, but we're really just talking about healthy financial relationships or or having healthy relationships that involve money, I suppose, which is what I love. Of the work you're doing. You're sort of flipping the script on how we talk about these things and making it, to me, so much more impactful.
3: You know, I really believe, and I say this in the book, that the, you know, financial practices in your marriage dictate the personal practices in your marriage. The financial dynamics in your marriage have huge influence over the personal dynamics in your marriage. And so if you have, you know, kind of these baked in, inequities and and all the finances are opaque and one person controls you know all of the pocketbooks and that's how it works, that's going to bleed over into the rest of your relationship. And the same thing applies on the other end. If you communicate and are fair about the financial issues, I hope I'm not naive in believing that those kinds of practices will bleed over to the other parts of your relationship. And Stephanie, like you said, we Started off talking about you know prenups, and now we're talking about you know kind of positive ways to run your marriage. And we didn't really kind of get to the third principle, which is fairness, which is kind of these contingency plans and talking about what happens you know if you were to break up, if the marriage comes to an end. But essentially, you kind of follow you know this what we've already set up. Typically, everybody keeps the accounts or the assets that are in their own name, and you split. What is in joint names? And because this is something that you set up at the beginning of your marriage and both agreed what was fair, you're not kind of leaving it up to future you, the future couple, which is what many people see, you know, happen in in divorces is the time that they have to make these huge financial decisions about who leaves their relationship with what is when all the communication has fallen apart. There's no more respect. There's no more trust. And it's just way more difficult to... Make decisions about what is a fair way to divide up your assets and your debts at a time when that relationship no longer exists, and that is why so much money goes from the pockets of couples who are on the rocks into the pockets of divorce lawyers. and I say this as a you know a longtime divorce lawyer myself who just recognized that it's unnecessary when couples really should be having these conversations at the beginning of their relationship.
2: yeah. So true and fair. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors when we come back. I want to shift gears just a little bit.
4: The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And by LawPay. Don't be the last to discover why the legal industry is raving about LawPay Pro. Say goodbye to manually recording your working hours and chasing down late payments. Accurately track time, reclaim billable hours, and get paid faster with all the billing and invoicing features you need in one easy-to-use tool. Plus, plans start as low as $19 per month per user. Visit www.lawpay.com lawyerist to learn more. As a lawyer, you're working with thousands of client documents, trying to improve collaboration, and looking to leverage technologies that help make your work more efficient, all while keeping your confidential data secure. Experience a better way to work with NetDocuments, the number one cloud-based document management platform for law firms of all sizes, whether you have one lawyer or dozens. Find out why law firms are increasingly making the switch to NetDocuments to secure, organize, automate, and collaborate on their most important documents, emails, and digital discussions. To learn more, visit netdocuments.com lawyerist. And for a limited time, Lawyerist listeners get 10% off. Check it out and get started at netdocuments.com slash lawyerist.
2: Okay, I'm back with, if I haven't said this, one of my, well, you're all my favorite. So I can't say one of my favorite labsters, but you're one of our longtime labsters. So I think I can say that, but you know, I love you all. And Aaron came to me a couple of years ago in one of our coaching sessions and was like, Hey, I really want to focus on prenups. And how can i shift my business and if it's not obvious now you did just that where you really shifted away from a traditional family law practice where you were mostly handling you know divorces and now you're focused on really financial counseling for healthy marriages right through this idea of the prenup and i'm just kind of curious if you could share a little bit with the listeners about what that journey has been like as you've sort of reimagined and rebuilt your business
3: yeah I mean, and it really has been a journey. I think it's probably been maybe over three years since you and I first started having the conversations about making this making this change. A big part of it was really shifting my mindset around you know what was possible. I think that in my mind i you know I think as lawyers we're we're cautious, you know we're we're pessimists and we're cautious and we're paranoid. For the good of our clients, but you know, that that also goes with our businesses. And I in my in my mind, I think I had this idea that it would be this incremental shift over and just kind of like a tiptoe. And slowly over the course of several years, you know, I would find myself transitioning from the majority of my practice being divorce litigation to being prenuptial agreements. And I really had to break out of that mindset and say, no, we're going to we're going to make this thing happen quickly. We're going to push the envelope. And what I realized at the end of the day was that if I wanted to make it to where prenuptial agreements was the core of my practice, I wasn't going to build this huge, you know, successful prenup and post business in the two or three hours I had left over at the end of the week <laughs> after running, you know, a busy divorce practice with several employees and ongoing litigation and trial preparation and you know managing the team and and all of that, that at some point I had to, you know, take the leap and really dedicate myself to making this the primary thing that I wanted to do. And the one way to make it the primary thing you do is to stop doing all of the other things and make it the primary thing that you do. And so that is what happened in August, September of 2022. I closed down my litigation shop. Met with the team, we made it you know as good of a transition as we possibly could. and I think because of the great reputation that my team had in the community, you know everybody who wanted to have a job had multiple offers within you know two weeks of us making this decision. and you know some of the other teams started up their own firm, which is churning along today with a lot of the former employees of the firm. and you know starting in September of twenty twenty two I was winding up my last litigation cases and really focusing on building the platform for what is now my full-time job at prenups.com.
2: Yeah. It does sound scary to some, and it was a big risk. What words of wisdom do you have? If someone's listening to this and they have an inkling that they want to, want to change their practice area or change their business structure, which is really what you did. What would you tell them?
3: First of all, I recognize that it is scary. You know, it is a leap. I had some things going for me. You know, I saved up money. I planned for it. You know, this is not something that I did on a whim. And one day, you know, just just shut down a practice and jumped out there. You know, there was a there was an overlap period of probably seven months where I was still closing up litigation cases that I'd taken on and, and you know, they were just too close to the end or I'd grown too close to the client to let them go and, and really wanted to make sure that I finished what I started in a number of respects. But I think that I've learned that the change can happen a lot faster than you initially think that it can. And that if you do things right, you know, if you save up, luckily for me, I also had a supportive partner who has a great career of her own. Who was able to you know kind of cover the the health insurance premiums and you know make sure that things kept running, but that you know at the end of the day the idea that you're going to starve you know is not really realistic for most of us, you know if you're an attorney, you have skills, you have a skill set, you have the ability to earn income, you likely have credit, hopefully you have savings, and you have these other things in place and that once you start dedicating 100% of your working time towards doing the thing that it is you want to do, this may sound hokey, but the universe is going to conspire to find ways to help you along. And particularly when you're doing something that you you really feel strongly about, that you're passionate about, the motivation and the effort will be there. And when people see that this is what you're trying to do, I think opportunities will present themselves to you, you know, much quicker. I mean, the the year prior to me kind of leaving litigation, I was still trying to grow prenups.com, but you know, what's happened in the year since I dedicated myself 100% to it is just so leaps and, and bounds beyond what I was able to do when I was trying to juggle that with the litigation practice as well. And so I think a lot of people may underestimate how much more quickly you can grow whatever the new thing is that you want to do when you have 100% of your effort going towards that.
2: Yeah. I feel like that advice probably also applies to firm owners who maybe don't want to change practice area or business model, but they're just stuck working in the business. I mean, you and I've talked about that too, but they're like, oh, I want to make changes and I want my business to grow, but they keep doing the same things.
3: I think a lot of people could benefit from the idea of, you know, <laughs> ripping the Band-Aid off and making it happen. I mean, I think that we have the tendency to want to make these changes incrementally, and certainly we don't want to revolt on our hands when it comes to employees. But, you know, we as humans are much more adaptable than we give ourselves credit for. And, you know, if you jump in and make the changes, I think for me, another thing that was helpful was looking at everything like it is an experiment. And if worse comes to worse, I mean, if if really, you know, the walls come crashing down, you can go back to what it was you had in place before, you know, if, you know, at the end of the day, if I was literally having trouble keeping the lights on, I could go back and I could take on some litigation cases, but chances are you're going to adjust, your firm is going to adjust, your team is going to adjust. And, you know, there really is a benefit to just kind of really diving in. What it is you want your firm to look like, what you want your business to look like.
2: Yeah. And since you've done that, I should say, like we've mentioned it, but you were able to publish a book, a real life book. I'm holding it in my hands. You've been on, I think you just told me 40. This is your 40th podcast appearance, which is amazing. And you've really been able to really level up your expertise. And I mean, all the things you're doing, it's just been really delightful to be a small part of it and to watch you grow and really develop this business and see how well it's taken off. So I just want to say congratulations.
3: Yeah, thanks so much. And you know, you've been a big part of it. Lawyerist has been a big part of it because of the community that you guys have built up and the type of people that Lawyerist attracts, where some people locally, friends of mine, other attorneys thought I was absolutely insane to be walking away from a successful, profitable family law practice that I frankly spent years, you know, working really, really hard to build. And, you know, the lawyerist community and you and the other coaches have been like, if this is what you want to do, here are the steps that we're going to take to get there. And, you know, the folks in Lawyerist have been hugely supportive and big fans and uh, a big part of the motivation that's pushed me. To get where I am. So thank you for that. And yeah, thank you.
2: Well, you're welcome. And if you're thinking to yourself that you could use some financial support for your relationship, and you need to think through this, I encourage you to head to prenups.com, connect with Aaron. He also has a ton of great content on the site. And I think there's no time like the present, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, we've got tons of free content on the site. We've got a free ebook. There's a link to get the actual book, the prenup prescription, if you want to dive deeper, links out to all the social media channels and all of that. So a great hub to get a start, whether you're getting an agreement or not, but just to benefit your marital financial relationship.
2: Thanks for being with me, Erin. It was great to talk to you again.
3: Thanks for having me on, Stephanie. It's been an honor.
0: The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10-minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.